Before I begin my sermon, let me lead us in a prayer. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God. You alone whom we call Redeemer. In your name we pray. Amen. Mahatma Gandhi is credited with this saying, the true measure of any society can be found in how it treats its most, most vulnerable members. We'd like to think that as Americans, we live up to that kind of a, a scrutiny. But certainly news in this past week has caused us to take another look and to reconsider who we are. How do we treat those who are of a different race, of a different religion, who are strangers to our country, who maybe do not share the same views that we have? Invariably, it's not the system or structures that provide for the delivery of such favorable treatment toward individuals in need. But it comes down to the goodness of certain people who go beyond expectations in their response to such people. The system's one thing. The people who actually convey that support, that love, that care, that's another altogether. In this part of our story of Ruth, we see such behavior exemplified with the introduction of a man named Boaz. Thus far in this story, we've learned Naomi, along with her husband and two sons, had fled Bethlehem during a time of famine. And so as refugees, they move into the neighboring country of Moab. And there, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies. Her two sons go on to marry Moabite women, but after 10 years without children, both sons die. And then Naomi, in great um, grief and distress, learns that the drought in her homeland has ended, and she returns there, accompanied by one of her daughter-in-laws by the name of Ruth. Despite the fact that these two women are now living among Naomi's people, her clan even, <clears throat> they remain vulnerable and at risk. They are impoverished widows. And who's to say how many people not only dis found disfavor in the fact that a Moabite was living in their midst, but that Naomi had brought one home with her and had allowed her sons to marry such women. To have food, Ruth has gone to glean in a nearby field. And gleaning was this provision of God set up in the law which stated that during harvest, farmers were to leave portions of their crop for the poor to come along and pick up. In the ancient world, this built-in structure was how people received communal support in the form of social security. It was a practice of justice that ensured that the vulnerable 
did not fall through the cracks. As a foreigner, Ruth chooses to ask permission to glean rather than assume it was within her right to do so. The owner of the field that she goes to work in belonged to Boaz. And the opening sentence describes him as a Limelech's kin and as a man of standing, or we might say substance. And the rest of this chapter amplifies the significance of these two details. You see, in ancient Israel, a kinsman who looked out for and provided for extended family members was known as a guardian redeemer. Leviticus 25 applies this term to someone who bears an obligation to redeem a relative who is in serious difficulty. That redemption might include the paying off of debts, the acquisition of property, and the overall care and welfare of that individual. The rest of the book will describe how this comes about, but for now I want to focus on the second description of Boaz. By saying he was a man of standing or substance, the narrator signals for us that he was a person of wealth and of reputable character. We first notice this in the way he greets those working in his fields. He says to them, the Lord be with you. I don't know how many of your employers start your day that way, that they just, they just pray a blessing over you. May it be a good day for you. Instead of, it's about time you showed up. Or, you know. Then he's aware of Ruth's presence, and he asks the overseer, to whom does this woman belong? This is an idiomatic way of saying, what's this woman's story? How is it she's come to glean in my field? And once he learns her identity, Boaz then speaks directly to Ruth and affirms her he affirms her for the loyalty that she has to Naomi and the care that she had given to Naomi. It's, been, it's known throughout the neighborhood who, how she has behaved. I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law, he says to her. At this point, the narrator continually reminds us as readers that Ruth is an outsider who comes from a despised nationality. Few would have found fault if Boaz had showed this woman little or no regard, even contempt. It would have been acceptable. But he does the opposite. Ruth is a foreigner, a widow, and without means to support her household. But it's not out of pity or sympathy that Boaz shows her kindness. It's out of respect for her. Where others may have ridiculed Ruth with a sense of shame, Boaz elevates her by affirming the fact that she is even in Judah as an act of faith and trust in God, something which God has played a part of. He says, may the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. 
remember this family sought refuge in Moab, and now he speaks of Ruth as a Moabite finding refuge in the God of Israel. We would like to think that human acts of doing good or what is right incurs God's favor. We want to know that if, if we've done something right or something good, that God's proud of us or that God will bless us. But Scripture does not allow this. God is not obligated to such whims and and actions on our part. Um, if that were the case, we would manipulate God all the time. Instead, whatever goodness that we see in one another is evidence of God's favor then being lived out by that person. I'll remind you that the Psalms and Jesus both Reiterate the fact that no one is good except God. In the Psalms we read, God looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Everyone has turned away. They've together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. I'm sorry if you came with that impression today. When a rich young ruler came to Jesus, he addressed him with this question, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, Why do you call me good? There's no one good except God. People don't like me to accompany them on backpacking trips because every once in a while someone will ask, how are you? Are you okay? And they'll say, I'm good. And I invariably say, no one is good except God. <laughs> we weren't talking to you is what the, is usually what comes back. <laughs> in other words, all forms of goodness derive from God. God's people then do acts of loving kindness and goodness, not in order to deserve God's grace, but rather in response to it. Boaz invokes God's blessing upon Ruth and becomes himself an agent of fulfilling that blessing. He invites her to his table at mealtime. He tells her not to go elsewhere to glean, but to return to his field. Knowing she could easily have been mistreated, if not abused, by his own harvesters, he commands them not to harm her or touch her. He also instructs them to pull out some of their stalks of grain they have already harvested and leave it for Ruth to, to add to hers. The effect of Boaz's character and kindness is felt by Ruth's response to him. She says, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly, though I do not have the standing of even one of your servants. This expression in whose eyes I find favor was the way in which they 
would refer to a person of, of inferior status, how someone from that position might speak to someone who is their superior. And then Ruth's, Ruth asks a question all us readers are curious about. Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz implies that it's in return for her kindness toward Naomi. Have you ever noticed that people who are without goodness of character seldom see goodness or faithfulness in others? And people who are people of goodness and kindness and faithfulness are quick to see such qualities in others. Well, we know there's another answer than the one Boaz gives. Simply stated, he's a good man. The book of Ruth follows the book of Judges, which ends with this line. In those days, there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. We could say, in those days in America, there was no king. And all did what was right in their own eyes. In other words, people of that period did what was to their own advantage. What promoted themselves with little regard for God or anyone else. By contrast, Boaz did what he thought honored God and what valued others. Where would we be? without such people, without such goodness like that of Boaz in this world. People whose sense of loving kindness and goodness calls out the best of our humanity, who not only defend the weak and vulnerable, but elevate their standing among us with dignity and respect, such that we want to follow suit. What makes... The events of this past week, particularly at Charlottesville, with the position and rhetoric of white supremacists and neo-Nazis so unacceptable in our world today, is the fact that they advocate their own dominance and privilege at the expense and the exclusion of others whose ethnicity, whose race, and religion is different than their own. And in the minds of such white nationalists, all are not equal. And if it's necessary, they, do, they will defend their point of view with force and violence. Whether it was the ancient time of Boaz when blood ties drew a line of those who belonged and therefore were considered people of worth and others were not, or whether it was the time of Jesus when leaders of his day were more concerned with religious purification and being set apart than they were with moral sanctity of God loving all people. Or whether it's our day where we look at a stranger or a refugee or a person of color with some suspicion 
treat them with disrespect. The justice of God and the teachings of Jesus require us to have a less narrow reading of Scripture and the law and a more gracious act of love that expands our definition of neighbor and calls us to treat one another as we would want to be treated ourselves. To pay attention to the weightier matters of the law and the heart of God rather than hide behind something we find that allows us to carry out our prejudice and our, and our um, self-serving ideals. Where would we be without such goodness, such kindness in this world? And what if it's up to us to be the ones that exemplify the very love of God and the goodness of God so that others might truly find themselves open to such belief again? May it be so. just sit, I could just sit and wait for all the burdens of all the presence. I could just stay, I could just stay right where I am, but I feel called to feel something again. me from the ends. 